There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Hello, everyone. You're listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm Bill Roden. We're recording this podcast on a Friday afternoon, so March Madness is over. Thank God. The Lakers are looking for a new president of basketball operations. Thank God. And Nipsey Hussle was laid to rest. Uh, we've got a great lineup today. First of all, we're going to be talking to the vice president of NFL operations, Troy Vincent, and his wife, Tommy Vincent. Uh, football and sports are very important to them, but they also have a great life outside of the sport. Uh, they're going to talk to us about family values and their anti-domestic and sexual violence advocacy. Uh, let's get right to it. Uh, on this show, we love talking about sports and culture, but we don't often get to talk about family values and practices that can hold them together. Now, Troy Vincent has been on the show before talking about his NFL career and his front office career. But today, Troy and his wife, Tommy Vincent, are talking about their life outside of the league and how food and the dinner table has helped keep their family and their marriage together for over two decades. Welcome to the show, Troy and Tommy. Thanks for having us. Thank you. A lot of people know Troy. Uh, Troy played 15 seasons in, in, in the NFL. Uh, he was the uh, long-term president of the um, NFL Players Association. And, of course, we've known each other for quite a while. Uh, I didn't really have the, the the pleasure to meet his wife until really about two years ago. And uh, we were in Minneapolis. And that's when um, they introduced this I, this concept of, of this thing of uh, Vincent Country. So I want you guys to explain the concept of it. Maybe, Tommy, since we don't hear from you that much, what what is exactly we say Vincent Country exactly what is that? So Vincent Country is a lifestyle that's based off of three pillars: faith, family, and food. And as you mentioned, Troy played in the NFL for fifteen years, and I was nineteen, and Troy was twenty three when we got married. Mm. And in order to sustain a healthy and thriving marriage and family lifestyle in the professional sports realm, you have to be very deliberate and intentional about how you live your life and the choices and decisions you make on how you're going to navigate that terrain. And throughout the course of our time together, and we've been married for 25 years, mm. we look back and realize that we had really put together some things that we believe are beneficial for family and beneficial tools that family can grab a hold to to establish success in life. Um, professionally, personally, um, in, in very many different facets. And so that's when, you know, when we looked at it all, it, it, it became, you know, we've established this, our country. Mm, Our country, mm. Vincent, we're a Vincent family. We've established this country, and we are in the business of empowering other 
families, other people, and establishing their own countries. Because mm. we all have that right to establish how we will choose to live our life and be successful at it. Mm. Yeah, I know right now a lot of people want to move to another country. But that's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but let, let me ask you this. I mean, again, uh, you know, you made 25 years, which is extraordinary. Um you know, you met when you were 19, Troy, you were 23. Where did you guys meet? And uh, Where and how? Tommy, the matriarch. <laughs> oh, I see. This is going to be this kind okay. of conversation. Huh? <laughs> or so dripping all, with sarcasm. Let, let, me just, <laughs> let me just say why why that was important for me to be introduced that way, matriarch. Mm-hmm. Um, that is very intricate in the black family. There has always been um, the pillar and the post of the patriarch and the matriarch of a family to establish a strong heritage and lineage. And I take that very seriously, and I take it very personally. And so for me, that's who I am. And I wear that proudly, that title proudly, and I look forward to establishing a strong Vincent lineage. So that's why I... uh, I am insistent upon that term, Troy. Um, so to your question um, in regards to how we met, um, Troy and I um, were both from Trenton, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And when we, our initial encounter, I actually was in junior high school and Troy was in high school. So that's not when he and I connected to be in a relationship. It was later on in life when my sister was married to his um, childhood best friend. Hmm. And Troy inquired about me to my sister, asking how her little sister was. And um, she indicated, you know, I was doing well. And my brother-in-law at the time indicated some things to Troy. And so Troy then began his hot pursuit of me. Isn't that right, Troy? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Troy, it, I, I think that's it. It played, it played a little. It, yeah. Yeah, don't don't be correct. the don't don't be the hero now, Troy. This is not the time to be. <laughs> <laughs> that's correct. Met in high school, middle school, began dating, college. I was leaving out of Wisconsin on my way down to Miami, and she was at Temple. Uh, you know, you Got know, married my rookie year, and we've been uh, together ever since. Wow. Wow. I mean, that, that's that's pretty... See how long it took me to say that and see how long it took her <laughs> to get to that conclusion. You know, but I mean, it's pretty extraordinary. You know I'm all about the details. That's right. You know, it's pretty, pretty extraordinary because, you know, again, longevity, and again, I'm not the one to talk about this, longevity in marriage. That Again, that's another podcast. But, you know, they say longevity in marriage is an unearned miracle. Like, the reason why some people stay together is just as mysterious as why people get divorced. And particularly in your your realm uh, Troy you know the NFL like I said you've been in the NFL for 15 seasons and man the statistics are like I I forget the you probably know the stats better than me but they say that x percent of guys that's get not true is that yeah, yeah what, what's the stat I'm thinking about you so sports illustrated years ago right, right, right. put out the stats right. that we were you know, like 80% of the guys are bankrupt the year after they retire, 50% are divorced, which is untrue. Yeah, yeah, but it, but it feeds into a narrative. Just, 
it feeds into a narrative of, frankly, who we are, who athletes are, and in particular, who men of color that are athletes, who they are, and the relationships that they're in. You know, Tommy and I have been able to, to stay together. Why? We, we've learned how to deal with issues and challenges. As we would say we've learned how to fight, um, have disagreements, work them out um, in a civil manner, and making sure that we continue to keep loving on one another. We have children raised now, grandchildren. So, you know, our faith is obviously our stable. So whenever we get left or right, we know we always got to come back to the center, which is our faith, and, and the hub of our relationship and say, okay, what would Jesus say here? What would Christ say here? And we got to handle this the appropriate way because neither one of us can leave. <laughs> and really? we just work it out. And through time, that kind of gets to that Vincent country, that through our faith, family, and food. What brings us always back together is food, Tommy's ability to, to bring the family, extended family, together around food. It must be almost impossible, like in this era, to be a young superstar and find love. I mean, I mean, who? No, it's not. It's not. It's not. That's well, a myth. It's well, because I mean, you're, when you came in, it was a different, it was a different, there was no social. Well, tell me why you think that's a, that's a myth. Because to me, I mean, back, back in the day when you came in, you know, when your first year, I keep the, you were, you, you, Miami was like 19, what? Give me the, give me the date. 92. Okay. So, 92. Oh. 1992. Okay. Well, it just, why do you think it's not difficult? Why do you think it is not difficult for high profile athletes, and particularly black athletes? Everybody knows how much you make. They know where you are. They know, you know, it just seems like it's almost impossible to find out who wants you for you and who wants you for your celebrity. I mean, you guys are so fortunate you found each other at age 23 and 19 and have been able to stick through it through thick and thin. Why do you think it's not difficult, any more difficult these days? I have my version, I'm sure Tommy has hers, is that everyone knew who the athletes were, what they made. It just didn't have social media, but you had local papers, you had magazines that talked about it, you had television shows that talked about it. Relationships are intentional. Success mm -hmm. in relationships are intentional, and so is failure. Where your time is, where you spend your time is where you get results. If I want, we want our relationship to work, then we work it out together. We don't have to FaceTime and all the little different things that you see. You don't hash out your issues publicly or concerns or successes. You do those like you've always done them through time is you sit down, you have a civil conversation. So those things haven't changed. The core of a relationship hasn't changed. It's love. It's communication. How you communicate. How you deal with issues how you deal with challenges, how you deal with family members, extended family. So to me, that's, that's never changed. And if it, it's a choice that an athlete makes in their relationship on how they want to live, hey, things in 1992, nothing good happens after midnight. <laughs> the same thing applies during this time in 2019. Nothing good happens when you're out hanging out after midnight. Mm -hmm. Tommy? I think that, and this is just my own opinion, I'm not a guy, but I, I think that when he's ready, then where he's pursuing and looking changes and transforms. You know, when he's looking for just fun and, you know, not really looking to settle down, then he's 
maybe in in it, you know, engaging in an area, hanging out and doing those types of things. But when you're ready to settle down, um, and and I take I take cue from that with our son Troy, mm. who is in graduate school. You know, there was a point in his life where settling down was definitely not a priority. And as a matter of fact, I don't know that that was something where I like even saw coming in the near future, but when he was Hmm. ready, he was ready and he found someone and he married her Hmm. and he's a young man, you know, got married young, like Troy did. And that's not everybody's story. And that's not for everybody because you do need to have a level of maturity to get married. So I think it's important to work things out of your system um, responsibly um, before you settle down, because when you make that commitment, you should be making it with the intention of making it for your lifetime. I'm just this. This was not going to be my follow question. So, what do you think about people who are divorced once, twice? I mean, you know, they're, they're you know, they're, some people I know have got friends who three, four. I mean, I yeah, you know, I kind of draw the line at three. But I mean, what do you think about that? Do you think that it's frivolous or people are the, the inst- people aren't taking it seriously? I think that um, it's important that people live life full and they live it abundantly and they have happiness. So it's not for me to judge someone on how they navigate marriage. I think it's very personal, personal, and it's a journey that you only are aware of when you're walking in those shoes. So I can't even speak to why someone would or why somebody wouldn't. I do know that in my own marriage that it's not always, you know, peachy cream. And so for me and the commitment that Troy and I made early on in our marriage, and I think we just had a conversation regarding this the other day, um, we have to find ways to, to keep things glued together. And we have to find ways to continue to be in love with one another and not just liking each other. You know, I don't want to be married for 35 and 40 years and we're not enjoying each other's company and we're not still having fun and laughing and celebrating and, you know, enjoying our, you know, sex life and all of those things. All of that stuff matters. And so in order for us to maintain that, we got to put in the work. Mm. And so that's our commitment to one another and for other people, they have to do what works for them. And like Troy said, for us, the firm foundation of it, of it for us is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Like, I don't know that we would still be married if we didn't have that peace stabilizing us in our marriage. I would just add one thing. When I hear someone, and I, I meet many people that are in their third or fourth, when, I, when you get in your third and fourth marriage, you have to really look yourself in the mirror and ask, what have you not cleaned up from one relationship to the next? Because oftentimes you're carrying the strongholds or the things that did not work out in the last relationship. They were never addressed mm. personally. Mm. And you're carrying them from one. So you're, you're carrying them from one relationship to the next so there really becomes a time where there's a self-reflection and a self-check. What are you doing differently that you didn't do in the previous relationship? And if you haven't changed those things or overcame those strongholds, you're just carrying them into the next relationship. Mm. Our guests uh, are Troy and Tommy Vincent. Troy, of course, you know, is the um, 
vice president of uh, NFL operations, uh, football operations in the NFL. And uh, his wife, Tommy, is the uh, the matriarch of the family. They have five children, uh, three grandchildren, and they've been married for 25 years. One of the things I want to ask you both, what role does the sort of NFL culture, the NBA culture, but what role does that play in this longevity or lack of longevity? I mean, I know you're saying that if you're on the same page and all that. It's but, an excuse. Huh? It's an excuse. That's that's a That's a lame excuse when things don't happen because of – the workplace culture? You kidding mm -hmm. me? Well, that's yeah. an excuse for things not to because we all have to make we're all making choices. See, sometimes that's a that's a scapegoat. Well, my culture or this is what happens at work that has that should have nothing to do with the way you carry yourself and how you live in your household in your relationships as a father as a husband. Those two are two different. Me being a ball player and what I do at work, and that culture is one thing, but that doesn't say that things should be disruptive. Many people have tremendous amount of success in relationships in all sports. Been married long. You can, marriages have been been going on for decades and decades in all sports: baseball, basketball, football, hockey. And to say that the culture drives the relationship, the success or lack of. I think that's just an excuse when things don't happen or work out well. I think that it is extremely important when you're in this space and there are a lot of areas that can expose your areas of insecurities as a woman, as a man, and you look to try to make yourself feel better in areas, you know, by conducting yourself a certain way, I think it's really important to do the work to identify who you really are mm. so that you're able to be authentically yourself as the individual and then as the couple and not look to, to fit the stereotype or fit the narrative that other people are projecting on you. I think that if you are seriously committed about being committed to one another, you do have to have regulators. And you need to make sure that you're not putting yourself in positions to be tempted and putting yourself in a position that could cause you to stray away from your commitment. So if you know that, you know, engaging in extracurricular activity that involves um, alcohol that involves club environments that involves you know hanging out with single women or single men that's a problem for you then you need to have self-control and know that that's not good for for my life for me to to accomplish the things that I desire to accomplish with my family so I think it's important to really be that's why I think maturity is key and critical to when you're saying, okay, I want to get into this relationship and I want it to be for a lifetime. Don't do it when you're not ready. Hmm. Well, that that's interesting. How, how you know when you're ready. Uh, but what, do you talk, do you guys, both of you, because you've been around the league so long, do you guys talk to young families? Do you talk to, uh, to the players, players, girlfriends, and wives about these types of things? Do you kind of counsel or mentor? Not, not in an official way, but do you have these kind of conversations? All the time. It's part of everyday conversation. Mm -hmm. what, what about you, Tommy? Do you talk to 
either the the guys or the the the, the you know the the young wives about this stuff? Do you have these kind of conversations? And what 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 sort of the nature of them? Um, I do. I talk to women all the time about um, you know finding themselves, about making sure that they don't allow for themselves to get lost in the relationship that it's imperative that in the marriage and in the family that everyone has the opportunity to shine. You know, when you're married to a professional athlete, there is a spotlight on him all the time. And so as a woman, especially when you're filled, all of us, regardless of where you've come from and, you know, what you've been exposed to, we all are power-packed with gifts, gifts and treasures. And so in order for those things to come to the surface, they can't be squashed down in a relationship where you don't have the ability to become who you are created to be. And so sometimes you have to fight for that position in the marriage. You have to fight for that space, even in your interactions with the relationships that you all engage with, because there's a tendency to go directly to him. There's a tendency right. to, you know, make him the mouthpiece and the spokesperson for the family when you know in order for any relationship and any marriage to be successful, it takes both of the individuals. It's not a one-party show. Mm-hmm. Each of you, how do you guys deal with sexual violence in a marriage or a relationship? How, how do you discuss it? How, how do you, you deal with it and counsel it? I haven't had it had any experiences um, with women who are married that have been sexually violated by their spouse. I have um, engaged with women who have been in uh, domestic violence situations um, where they were being mentally or physically abused. And in my experience, the greatest gift that I could give to them is to be there no matter what and to allow for them to come to the decision on their own about what it is that they would like to do moving forward in that relationship because oftentimes there's a lot of shame and that comes along with being in the relationship when you are the victim you are embarrassed and you think people will judge you for being in the relationship and and staying involved in the relationship And it's important to me to actually love them to life because I believe that if I can love them in a way that presents what real love is about, then I give them a picture of truth that will expose the lie that they're experiencing. And so I just listen and I love them and I'm always available at any time so that they have a safe outlet that they can trust. Um, because once you stop trusting and you shut yourself self off from the world, which is oftentimes part of the uh, abuser's weapon against the victim, they try to shut them off from the world, then they really become uh, isolated, and it's really a bad situation. So I continue to make myself available, and I don't tell somebody, you need to leave, you need to do X, Y, and Z. That's not my position. My position is to be there for them, no matter what. Well, I, I get it from all perspectives, meaning I hear from victims. I hear from people that are trapped. I think over time, people knowing my 
advocacy work or my beliefs or my stance around violence against women, men who have been perpetrators. So I, God has given me the, the opportunity to engage in, at each one of those levels often from people that I know to people that I don't know who follow up or reach out. And my position is to listen because oftentimes I am the first responder and mm. learning how to respond to someone who has been victimized and then the opposite conversation of knowing how to respond to someone who is violating someone mm. and that individual looking to stop or and looking to seek help. So that conversation changes but it all begins and ends with being a great listener, non-judgmental, as Tommy has referenced often in this discussion, showing empathy, showing compassion. At the same time, when you're talking to someone who's a perpetrator or who is victimizing someone, there has to be there has to be a level that you get to of accountability. From from the time you entered the league to now. It's, it, my perception is that there's been such a dramatic change of focus. I, you know, I, I'll single out the NFL just because we're talking about. Has that been the case that from the time you entered the league to now, there's just been a really concerted focus on this to 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 really, you know, take this this seriously to take the the abuse seriously. Well, I'll begin. It's, it's it's always been there, so that the numbers don't lie, and this is the real challenge. The facts are the facts. Violence against women has been an epidemic for centuries. Thank God for the Me Too movement. Mm. Thank God for today's technology and people's willingness and bravery to talk about something that has stripped their lives away from them, have robbed their dignity. So there's a, there's a timing and a season for everything. So back in the 90s, when I first came into the league, you didn't have some of the, the outlets, the resources. You didn't have the support centers, shelters locally. You didn't have the tools that people have today to reach out and seek help. It's a different place, different era. Mm-hmm. Have you seen a change, Tommy? Just in, I know you said you, had, you haven't had a lot of those conversations, but as you've watched the culture of the NFL from, you know, from your vantage point, have you seen a, it changed. And I, I guess even with your sons, you got, you know, you have, you have sons. Uh, have you seen a change in them? Not, uh, uh, an awareness, uh, you know, uh, one of your sons plays at Ohio state, he just finished his, his first year at Ohio state. Um, have you seen a change? You're, and I think your oldest played at Towson, right? Is that correct? Yes. He, he still plays there. Um, I think that the change is because now it's more visible because of social media. This is where the awareness now has a platform where people are able to capture videos and it's, it's able, people are able to get this information real time and immediately. So it's being exposed more. Um, but the one thing that I was, I, I want to emphasize is, You know, this is not, hasn't become an issue for our family because of our involvement in the NFL as a, you know, and because it's like a, an issue right now that is extremely magnified. This has been our 
life's work since, you know, we've been together. We're, we both come from that background. I personally was in an abusive relationship, and Troy experienced it as a child watching, you know, the domestic violence. And so it's always been something that we have um, made a conscious decision to be a part of the conversation and part of taking action and bringing awareness and bringing an end to this type of uh, sexual violence and domestic violence against women in particular. Um, and Troy really big on making sure that men are a part of that conversation are, and are a part of the solution. So I think that's important to note. And I'm just grateful that the, the platforms that have been illuminated are bringing more conver- more conversation to the area so that it's exposed and now it's getting the attention that it rightfully deserves because it needs to be addressed and it has to be addressed. Mm-hmm. So you, you re- referenced my boys. Yeah. Our son was violated. Our daughter was violated. When we were, when we put them in the hands of as we thought at the time, caring family members. Mm. So we've seen it come full circle with, again, myself personally, my wife, you know, Tommy, her experience, and then our oldest two children have experienced some form of violence or sexual assault. So I look at it in the context, I pray, that the, the values that we've instilled, the discussions that they've actually been part of around issues that surround violence against women, mm-hmm. I just pray they began living those principles, those behaviors, those values that have been taught. I know what I can be by what I see. Starting with my three boys, the oldest, mm-hmm. my sons have never seen their father put their hands on their mother. They've actually been out with me as, as we've traveled around the country fighting to end violence against women. But my prayer is that they live these things out that they were taught, that they've learned, that they have a true understanding of consent, of how they value women, and the, the role that women play in their lives and in relationships. And there's only been our faith and our belief and our faithfulness in in Christ Jesus to keep us stable and alive. And we're understanding that this is not for us. This fight is not for us. It's for the next individual. Our testimonies are for the next family, the next individual that we have an opportunity to engage with. Listen, guys, uh, this has been great. Our guest has been Tommy and Troy. I'm putting Tommy first now. 
uh, Tommy and Troy Vincent. Uh, the matriarch. The, Tommy is the matriarch of the Vincent uh, clan. She includes five children, three boys, two girls, and three grandchildren. Uh, Troy Vincent is the vice president for football operations in the National Football League and um, played 15 years in the National Football League. Great guy, really a great guy. Uh, like I said, I always tell the story, uh, but I, I, I guess knew of Troy before I actually met him. Uh, because, um, but uh, your bud was your, what, what's the relate? Was he your stepdad or your, or, 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 how do you? What? He's my guy. My, he was my godfather. Your godfather. I yeah. met him. They took, they took legal cuts into me in high school when I transferred my last year of high school from Trenton, Trenton New Jersey over to Yardley, Pennsylvania. And really, that changed your life, really. I mean. Oh, tremendous. Yeah, great, great experience. Tremendous experience. Learned a lot about culture. Learned a lot about just who I was at that particular time in my life and the structure and the discipline, not that I didn't have it with my grandparents over in Jersey, but it was at a different level. And and I remember Bud, you know, Bud and I shared his love of, of jazz and he was in our jazz listening group uh, called the jazz fraternity. And I remember one of our listening sets, uh, he told us about this kid, this kid, this planted Wisconsin. You know, I think you may have been a freshman South war. He said, look at this kid, watch out for this kid. And you know, sports right? Yeah, right. Everybody got a kid, but that kid he was talking about happened to be Troy Vincent, uh, who had an extraordinary career. Well, he talked me into playing football. Really? Because I thought I was going to be the next Julius Irvin. Oh. And but when I moved over to the their home, I had explicit, <laughs> explicit instructions <laughs> that I wasn't bringing my black A home <laughs> when school ended. This was during the fall, so all my kids that live in this home will participate in athletics. And that is every sport during that particular season. So James Bodley Jr. played football and he said, for you to live here, you're going to play football too. <laughs> wow. So I had to go out and have a choice. Wow. And you said the same thing. I remember there was some event at West Point and this was a whole concussion thing was, you know, and I was asking you about what do you think about your kid? This was before your kids were starting in high school. And you said the same thing. Every male in my my family will play football. Every that's that's the hope, that's the desire. I got one that I'm still working on. He'll be in high. He'll be in, uh, he's in eighth grade now. He'll be a freshman next year. I'm still working on our last boy. But listen, why don't you, Troy? Just why don't you have him play baseball? That baseball is actually the best deal in terms of survival. Baseball? No, baseball is actually. Don't, we don't want to be falling asleep. You think me and my wife want to go to a game and we'd be falling asleep yeah. in the stands, really? But you want to a 15-year career and you could even be out of shape. I mean, baseball for brothers is the best. You kind of be a kind of athlete and have a 30-year career in baseball, baseball man. Baseball for who? Uh, for brothers. Base- baseball for who? For what? One more time. For who? For brothers. What do you mean? Baseball is the best yeah, sport, okay. man, in terms of a business that you don't get chewed up. And if you're even half-athlete, man, you have a 30-year career. A brother who's half-athlete okay. can play forever. What do you think about that, Tommy? Since you're the matriarch of the family, you could change. I think Troy needs to stop. I think Troy <laughs> needs to stop hating. <laughs> and uh, I celebrate all sports, period. Yeah. And I think that any time that young black males have an opportunity to pursue their dreams through athletics, they need to go for it. And the only way they're going to find out what they're good at is they have to play multiple sports. There you go. Because you never know. Troy would have never known that he was going to be successful in football if Bud hadn't pushed him to play football. 
So you keep the doors open for every opportunity. You don't limit yourself. So it's not about playing sports because we're saying, hey, you got to play sports because you got to go college and get a scholarship and you got to become a professional athlete. We play it because of the, dis- the discipline and the teamwork and being coachable in life and taking leadership and being able to lead. So we use sports as a, a vessel of education. Sound like a football mom to me. <laughs> hey, listen, this, is, this has been great. Our guest has been uh, Tommy and Troy Vincent. You, you guys had a, a remarkable event um, uh, during the Super Bowl. Uh, it was really tremendous as a brunch that kind of kicked off Troy uh, uh, Vincent country. But you and the a, brunch and the, and the, and the grits yeah. and those grits that you was eating, that those shrimp that, and grits, that, purple that, grits. That, that, that you, my recipe. That, yeah, your recipe that I mentioned that. By the way, so the purple grits, I've never had purple. Unbelievable. The purple grits were just tremendous. And so I went over to, <laughs> to, to, to compliment Tommy because Tommy is a chef. And, uh, actually Troy took credit for it. He said it was his recipe. And so I guess once and for all, because I had a private conversation with Tommy and a private conversation with Troy, I said, well, whose recipe is it? Who did it? Who you know, is, is, is it yours, Troy? Is it Tommy? I mean, what could you tell me about the purple? I just want I just want them again. But who's the inventor of this? Who's the author of this? Is it Troy or is it Tommy? Mrs. Vincent. I'll just say this. I'm the chef. <laughs> so you did it. So you made them. You made the purple grits. If I go online, I, I, just if, can I find purple grits online? And if I do it, whose picture will be there? Yours or Troy's? Next to the purple grits, <laughs> <laughs> whose whose picture will be there? It would be it would be her picture. But I asked for who owns that intellectual property. Yeah, who owns we it? Was in court, and my and my counsel said we want Mrs. Vincent to take this lie detector. Come on. Well, if you're in New York, this is what I would say. I would say, Troy, go to that stove and make them purple grits. (laughs) Could you make them? That's what I would say. He'd have to Google it. But listen, listen, they were delicious. But beyond that, the event, it was just a great event. And and, and maybe could you describe what you got? Because you made a, a remarkable presentation to the principal of a local elementary school. I think you guys had raised money. You gave the school, and I know, Troy, when you told me about it, you got kind of emotional because these are kids who were looking for where the next meal was coming from. And you were saying, in the well, in the context, you know, the Super Bowl is the epitome of, like, of multi-billionaire parties. You know, I mean, there's, like, the money to burn. Excess food, the commissioner's party, and right there in Atlanta, you guys were, were ministering to a school where some of the kids didn't know where the next meal was coming from, you guys. Could you explain what you gave them? Because it was really a touching presentation that you made to the... So to, this, to this the, is all Tommy's, and frankly, this is all Tommy's vision mm-hmm. and part of what, we, what we're about and what we do at Vincent Country and that extension of work and then our own personal lives. So at, the, at all Super Bowl activations, when I say all, the NFL draft and as well as the um, Super Bowl, um, we look to go into community and to bring aspects of 
the Super Bowl or the NFL experience to an area of children who would not otherwise receive the benefits of that. We think it's really important for children to be able to have safe environments. Children should not have to go into spaces concerned about their life, concerned about their food. They should be able to be children. And so we go into In this instance, at the Super Bowl in Atlanta, we had a Vincent Country Safe Zone Activity Day at Humphreys Elementary School, where we work with Cigna, along with the NFL Legends, and we brought in activities that we did with the kids, and um, they had um, lunch, and it was just a wonderful time. And for us, That's what the purpose of the event is. I think it's important for children to see adults having a good time because otherwise, what do they have to look forward to in becoming an adult? You know, if life is is just everybody's not happy and there's no joy and no laughter, it kind of puts a damper on a hope in the future. And so we bring this elements into the school and into the community. And then in addition to that, there was a fundraiser that was done for the school with the NFL Legends hosted by Tequila Spikes, and there was money raised, and we were able to get laptops and iPads and pay for the technology to get all those things situated in the school. We were able to purchase karate uniforms because the school community that we were at, they were doing a whole lot with a little And we really wanted to get behind what they already had going on at the school. And so it wasn't about us coming in and and imparting something that didn't already exist. This was a community that just needed an opportunity. And that's oftentimes what schools in underserved communities, especially in black underserved communities, need. They just need an opportunity. And that's what these events are about presenting an opportunity and then in conjunction with that we have the brunch where we're honoring the leadership of that school and we create an atmosphere and an environment that's about celebrating the people in the room we have found that when you're able to sit down and break bread it just it infuses life into the room and it also gives you an opportunity to do a pulse check with the people around you to see how you can be helpful and beneficial to people who are doing things and making things happen in community. So that's what those events are about. And we're actually in the process of, we have another brunch series that we're doing that's a quarterly brunch series that's actually going to be benefiting domestic violence and Mm. sexual assault. So when when is that going to be? So we're launching actually June 23rd in our first host, is Troy. It's it's a small, intimate group of people coming in, and we'll, we're raising funds for the National Domestic Violence Hotline mm-hmm. and a safe house of the host uh, city of choice or region of choice. And I'll be chefing for the event, so that's part of it as well, because that's my area of gifting, and so we're really looking forward to it. Before I let you guys go, I, want, I do want to talk about food and you, uh, Tommy. Um, cause that's been your, your, your thing. And I guess this, you, you talked about family food, uh, and faith. We've talked about the faith. We talked about the family. What about you and food? I mean, you're, you're a chef. How long have you, I mean, when did you start chefing? So it's something that I've been doing, um, ever since I can remember. I actually, the first time I cooked, I was two years old. Um, I officially though went to culinary art school 
and I actually went back to school to complete my degree. And for me, um, it was really important for me to to get my degree in something that was meaningful for me. And I felt like was, you know, an area that I really wanted to concentrate. And I have since then just really been focusing in on using the platform. One, um, I do private events, but using the platform in ways that I can work in community and make a difference there. Yeah. And at food, I guess, before you, Troy was saying that your dinner table was a place where you, where a lot of the the conversations in your household had that. The dinner table was very important. I think it's really hard to be able to check in with your family mm-hmm. without sitting down and having real conversation and having an opportunity to look each other in the face and talk about life and talk about what's going on outside of the home. And so for us, it has always transpired at the dinner table. And I like to consider it when we're doing our pulse check. You need to identify and understand if somebody in your family is in need of resuscitation. Hmm. You can't identify that if you're not actually engaging with them. If we're all just, you know, like ships passing through the night, I don't really know what's going on in your life. But when we sit down and you start eating food, it naturally causes this, a, a relaxation, and it, it causes you to just engage in conversation in a very organic way, and you're able to really find out what's going on with each other. So for us, having meals together is essential, and that's part of what we encourage other families to do and just individuals, period, to do, and also from the perspective of the ability to keep family legacy going. You may not ever have the opportunity to meet your great-great-great-grandmother, but if you are partaking in a recipe that she prepared, you're now meeting her. So I know that for the rest of my life and when I'm not here, that everyone in my family will get to know me because they'll be loved and healed through the recipes that I pass along to my children, and they'll pass them along to their children and so on and so forth. Mm. What's your go-to recipe? Or is it seasonal? Like, you know, Easter, do you have like a go-to recipe for Easter? You have a go-to? Yeah, since Easter's coming up, and I guess when this this podcast will be up, you know, uh, do you have a go-to recipe for Easter? Don't say roast rabbit. When it comes when it, <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to um, the holiday time, my family is is they're very you know set in their ways. And if I start trying to bring in anything new, I hear about it, I know about it. So I think we're very traditional, and you know you make the foods that you're used to getting at grandma's, and not just grandma's up north, grandma's down south. So they really enjoy, you know, macaroni and cheese and collard greens and potato salad and yams and, you know, so all of oxtails, oxtails, barbecue oxtails, <laughs> but all of that stuff is is on our table. So and I and I really enjoy being able Chicken to prepare that type. <laughs> Y'all cook duck. <laughs> we have duck. <laughs> I love duck. I love duck. Do you cook duck? Gumbo. Gumbo. Wait, Tommy, do you cook duck? Gumbo, lamb, lamb chops. Yes, yes. You do duck? Yes, Bill, I do. So can we have a duck off? Mm-hmm. We have to have a duck off. Oh, yes. I love a challenge. Okay, we'll have a duck off. Although I offered, I offered to cook. We'll have to, we'll, we'll, 
off we'll we'll figure out a, a place in time where we could like you know in my church there's a big kitchen we have a duck off anyway I, I always get off on these side tracks um you start thinking about that duck and them lamb chops. I know, man. Well, the lamb chops. You know, I'm not. I just start cooking lamb chops. Maybe my my uh, stepmother loves lamb chops, and so I start experimenting with them. It's kind of neat. I've also discovered the slow cooker. I don't know where it's been all my life, but the slow cooker. I was like, man, who invented that? Do you, do you use that time? Or is that too? <laughs> is that is that I do. you do? Isn't that? I mean, that's like amazing. <laughs> I I invent I invent place to be all day, so I come back just so I can slow cook stuff. <laughs> So let me let me see what I cook in like <laughs> ten hours. <laughs> oh God! That's also a great way to to prepare meals, so you're not eating out and and you're you know what type of substance you're putting inside of your body because what you do put inside is going to show up on the outside. All right. <laughs> so so if people want to find out more about Vincent Country, though, you got your own website. What's the how, how can they call it up? So the website is Vincent Country. Dot com and we're also on all social media channels and the handle is at Vincent Country. Hey, but listen, this is big great. The, the one thing I want to just leave people with, in all seriousness, I love the concept because what you're saying when you get to Vincent Country, every family basically, right, is its own country. I mean, that's that's kind of what you're saying with its own norms, its own, you know not rules or regulations, but its own um, you know, thing that, that's important. Every family has their own legacy. Every family has their own traditions. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's something to really, you know, to take away. I guess, <laughs> I guess have been uh great Troy Vincent, his wonderful, wonderful, wonderful wife, Tommy. Hey man, you guys, you guys are the best. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's all we have time for today. Or as Anthony Davis said in his T-shirt in his last game, that's all, folks. If there's anything you'd like for us to cover, or if you just want to leave us a comment, tweet us at The Undefeated, hashtag Rodenfellows. You could also contact us directly. I'm on Twitter at WC Roden. That's W-C-R-H-O-D-E-N. Thanks so much for listening to the Roden Fellows podcast. This show is produced by Aaron Matthewson. Special thanks to Tarika Foster-Brasby and the ESPN Digital Audio Content Team. I'm Bill Roden, and I've been your host. Get all of your HBCU 468 podcasts, as well as The Right Time with Bamani Jones and The Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast. And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone.